Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. This is Francis Tapon. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Mark Manglieri, who's the media relations manager at Amtrak. I ask him the following questions. What's a common misconception about train travel in America? When's the best time to get a good deal? Are airlines the biggest competitor? What's the appeal to the business traveler? What are the upgrades to the infrastructure? Like, are we going to see anything major coming down the pipeline? What about Hyperloop? Is that going to be a big thing? And how does he see the 2020s shaping up? Is Amtrak losing any sleep with the advent of self-driving cars? So in this interview, which lasts a little bit over 30 minutes, we go all around the station. And so you're going to hear a little bit of background noise of the trains and that kind of stuff. But it gives you some great insight into what's going on in Amtrak, and to prepare for your trips in 2019. Don't forget to check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftapon. Enjoy. Welcome to the WanderLearn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. I'm here with Mark Maglieri. Maglieri, and you are head of public relations here in Amtrak? Well, that's generous. I'm actually... uh, the Amtrak media spokesman in about 24 states, basically from... That's head for me. Well, that's about half of them. It's from it's from uh, Idaho to Mississippi and from Ohio to New Mexico, but everything in the middle. How long have you been with Amtrak? It'll be 18 years this week. Wow. Okay. And so you've been living in Chicago for how long? I've been working for Amtrak here in Chicago for all of those years. Wow. Okay. Now... Tell me about one of the common misconceptions that people might have that everybody thinks is the right way of doing something with when regards to train travel in America and that you think is something that should be corrected or misconceived. Well, it's usually best to buy your tickets as far in advance as possible. And we'll sell you a ticket right now at at the end of July all the way until next uh, May or June. And normally that's the best way to get the best price. But we have flash sales now that pop up and last for two or three days and then disappear. I mean, today, and this will be out of date, I think, by the time this plays, we have a sale that's introduced on a Tuesday that expires on a Friday. So check the deals tab on Amtrak.com if you can't buy far in advance to see what sales are alive just then. Sometimes those sales have blackouts. Sometimes those sales don't. The sale we're announcing today, for example, doesn't. So watch the deals tab on Amtrak.com to always get the best deal. When is the month that, or the months that are most likely to have a lot of deals? The, the softer seasons for us are usually after the middle of January into roughly early March. A lot of people have used vacation time. A lot of people have used money over the holidays so fewer people are traveling and some parts of the country it's hard to travel in january february and early march so that's a good time to go also at the end of the summer after labor day it softens up after schools and colleges go into session and again people have burned up their vacation time this is primarily on the overnight trains where there is a lot of leisure travel business trains like the one we're sitting on now are pretty busy all year round but even there Here in the Chicago area, a Tuesday or a Wednesday is not as busy as a Friday or a Saturday. So some of it's time of year, some of it's day of the week. The more flexibility you have, ordinarily, the more you can plan in advance, the better off you are. One of the misconceptions that certainly a lot of people had in myself, you know, a lot of people think that train travel is antiquated and it's not like European travel, European train travel. 
it's not as elegant and all that stuff. But actually, I was surprised when I got onto the train that's the Capital Express that Capital, that Limited. Capital Limited, sorry, that goes from DC to Chicago. There's showers on board. You have you know hot showers, <laughs> and you have you know of course you can have a private a room with a private bathroom. Uh, it's pretty pretty nice, and of course meals are included as well for certain classes if you if you go. It's pretty nice. Yeah, we, I don't think we market elegance, but we do market comfort. And if it, whether you're in a roomette, which is the smaller room for two people, or a bedroom, which is the larger room, which includes the in-room commode, it's pretty comfortable. Now, you can pack that room full of people, it becomes less comfortable, but for two people, it's pretty luxurious and certainly comfortable. There, I said luxury myself, um, to travel in a bedroom. I can't sleep unless I'm horizontal. My kids can sleep practically standing up. So it depends on how you like to travel. Plenty of people go all across the country in coach and do so comfortably because the coach seats recline on these overnight trains pretty deeply. And also they, um, there's a lot of space between the seats, a lot of room. So coach travel is perfectly fine for people who don't need to be totally horizontal. If you want to travel in a somewhat more horizontal way, the roomettes and bedrooms are the way to go. Got it. And what is, you know, a lot of people, I imagine, think to themselves, okay, but train travel is expensive. It's much cheaper to fly. But you were telling me that actually your biggest competition is? Cars. The, the private automobile or even the rental automobile is our primary competition. So if you compare our cost to driving, and if you're going to do it in a crazy way and drive straight through, which is not terribly safe, you're much better off and about the same price of riding an Amtrak train overnight because we'll provide the food as part of your fare and we'll give you a place to sleep as part of what you're paying for. And you'll be able to actually see the country as opposed to an 18-wheeler on one side, someone brushing their teeth or doing their makeup or shaving in the lane next to you and wondering what's ahead. So it's, it's a much more comfortable way to travel and a much more safe and relaxing way to travel too overnight on an Amtrak train. If that's how you're traveling, if you're going that kind of distance, normally our corridor trains, and we're sitting in a train now that just arrived from St. Louis, I'd much rather be on this train having the choice to work or not than be in my car next to the train and watching the train go past me, which we'll do. Now for, let's say, the business travel, like the Forbes Reader and that kind of stuff, they want internet. Now I noticed that when I went from New York to DC, on they have a it's only a, the acela uh a-c-e-l-a yes. there they have uh wi-fi and it's also just i think it's only business class or first class on an acela or a northeast regional train basically boston new york washington all those trains have cellular based wi-fi as part of the train equipment your train that you've traveled overnight on goes through some pretty isolated areas and we're solely dependent on the cellular network. So those overnight trains don't always have Wi-Fi, but a lot of people just tether to their phone and let their phone be their Wi-Fi hotspot. That's what I do when I travel. Even if the, even if the train has its own Wi-Fi, generally speaking, I just tether to my phone. So sure, Wi-Fi is important. That's why it's on about 90% of all the miles of Amtrak travel for passengers. But on a train that goes overnight through the Alleghenies, or train you're going to be going on overnight through the Rockies and the Sierras. Not a lot of cell coverage in those areas. No cell coverage in tunnels. So you're better off 
if you want to plug in, use your own phone. So Amtrak doesn't offer Wi-Fi on these kind of remote trains primarily because they don't want to give crappy service and then they're, they're going to get angry customers who say, hey, you promised me Wi-Fi and it drops out half the time or whatever. Yeah, I think that's an issue. When you're using the cellular-based networks, and that's what we use, we're solely dependent on how great the cellular coverage is. And although we uh, amalgamate the coverage from various carriers, not solely dependent on one, on our trains in the Northeast and our trains here in the Midwest that are daytime corridor trains, we're still dependent on a cellular network. There's not a satellite that's going to penetrate those tunnels that we're going through in the West. And longer term, we're looking at some technological solutions to that. Like what? 5G is out there coming. 4G is in a lot of places. But still, if you have 300 people on a train all trying to share the same cellular network, it's going to be an issue. Okay, so... For the business traveler, what are some of the incentives? Like like you say, most of the trains, over 90%, actually do have Wi-Fi, and the business traveler probably also has a cell phone that yes. they can tether to. Um, what other appeal does it have to a business traveler? To stay productive. And in, if you go to the airport, once they take you through the security, whether your shoes are on or off, you might have a few minutes at the gate, and you might have a few minutes once the plane takes off, all of those times you have no choice but to be non-productive. On this train, from the moment you step on it to the moment you step off of it, you have a choice. You can use that handheld device, a tablet, a phone, a laptop, to be productive or not. That's you don't a, have that choice on a plane. Right. That's one thing that you know we forget about is how much time we spend in security processes and checking in your baggage. All that stuff takes an incredible amount of time. When I got into the Amtrak, Boom. I was I mean, it was just like walking on a bus. I mean, it's just like, boom, you're, you're just there and you immediately can sit down and be productive. You don't have to wait until the plane gets to 10,000 feet and then you can pull out your laptop and then turn off your laptop before you know, all this stuff. And pay for the Wi-Fi on the plane. Right. And so uh, what other appeal besides being productive? I mean, I think in some ways, as counterintuitive as this may be, but it actually might be more efficient to take an overnight train for the business traveler than to take a plane uh, because you it's like you close your eyes and then you wake up and then boom you're at your destination as opposed to wasting let's say two three hours through the plane travel well let me give you an example here in chicago we have a train called the texas eagle it leaves here at 145 in the afternoon by noon the next day it's in dallas and fort worth if i have an afternoon meeting in dallas and fort worth I'm going to take a morning flight, probably a flight that leaves at 6 or 7 in the morning, which means I'm up at 4 or 5 in the morning to get to the airport, to get on the plane, to fly down there, and then try to make it into downtown Fort Worth or Dallas. I can be on the train at 145. I can let the train be my hotel. I can finish my presentation in East Texas on my way into Dallas and Fort Worth and be rested and ready to go and downtown. One of the great advantages we have all over the country is our stops are ordinarily in downtowns, not at some airport on the outskirts of town. And if you've been to Denver, you know how far the airport is, or Cincinnati, or New Orleans. Or even Chicago. Yeah, both of our airports aren't exactly downtown. They're 45 minutes or more away, depending on how you decide to come in and whether you're using mass transit or using uh, 
rideshare or a taxi subject to whatever the highway conditions are. So going downtown to downtown across the country for business travel, we make a lot of sense because you can get rid of that unproductive time. The direction we're going is giving customers more choices. And you have the choice of being productive or not on a train. If you're in a car, your obligation is to drive it. If you're in a plane, your responsibility is to travel safely and observe the security rules, which means you have no choice during those times. You follow the rules, you get on the plane, you don't open the laptop or turn it on until you're at 10,000 feet, then you shut it down as they're on approach. Those are all things you have no choice about. On Amtrak, you have choices. One of the things that I guess a lot of people don't factor in is all those little things that add up. In other words, the taxi ride from the airport to the downtown, uh, the taxi ride, you know, all those taxi rides that you have to do to connect to the downtown. And then also the hotel uh, that you basically get for free, quote unquote, uh, when you take a train. Um, and then you arrive there and you could leave. And then I have this one story I'll tell you. This guy, I don't know if it's still true, if it still exists, but. We'll see. Okay. Um, he was in New York City. He went to the Amtrak at around midnight. And then he paid to go to, he wanted to go to Washington, D.C. They gave him a place to sleep in the train it was in the station it wasn't moving and then so he slept there and then the train started moving at like 6 a.m or 7 a.m or something like that. and he was in dc at 9 a.m but basically his hotel he said it was cheaper than almost any hotel and it included the free ride to dc so i don't know if that tradition is going on anymore but that's what he told me that was our train called the twilight shoreliner that's no longer available because you know people when they get on a train they want it to move and what he was doing was beating the high cost of sleeping in Manhattan by sleeping on our train. So that's that was an attractive service for a lot of people, but not enough. Okay, so there's no equivalent anymore of that no, anywhere. We have early morning and late night trains up and down the Northeast Corridor over the, all the time, but not one that's gonna park in Penn Station and let you sleep for, for four or five hours. In my airplane example to Dallas, I don't know about you, but if I'm getting up at four or five in the morning to get to the airport to catch a plane, I don't sleep super well because I know I'm getting up at an oddball time. So I think we're more restful. I think we're more relaxed. I know we're more comfortable. And again, the choice to be productive or not is a choice that I think is attractive to a lot of people. And they might not think of it that way. Oh, there's a train to Dallas doesn't get there till noon. Well, yeah, but if I'm flying to Dallas, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. or 4 to get to the airport to clear security to stand in line at the gate to board a plane. I'd much rather be having breakfast through the piney woods of East Texas than going through all that. Are Fortune 500 companies realizing this uh, you know, productivity argument or is it a part of your educational process? It's both. A lot of companies get it. A lot of sports teams get it. In fact, in the Northeast Corridor, we transport some sports teams overnight. I think it's a process of how much service there is and how relatable it is to the folks we're selling it to. In the Northeast, with a couple of trains almost every hour up and down the Northeast Corridor, you know if you don't get one, if your business meeting runs late or you have trouble getting out of bed, there's another one and you might pay a premium to get to it, but it's there. Here in the Midwest, we have five trains a day between Chicago and St. Louis, uh, five each way, three each way down to uh, Detroit and Pontiac and seven each way most days between here and Milwaukee. When there's a lot of frequency 
and you have a lot of backup plans. So if I miss this one, there's another one. We're a great option for businesses. We're a less good option if there's one train a day between here in Dallas and Fort Worth, because if you're not on that one, you're waiting until the next day. So it varies based on the market and the product we're offering. Multi-frequency routes that are driving time competitive and even flying competitive. I mean, you'd be nuts to fly from Chicago to Milwaukee, which is 90 miles, when our train does it in 90 minutes. Because by the time you mess around at each airport, wind up not downtown. But even between Chicago and St. Louis, where our shortest travel time now is about five hours, which is driving time competitive, if you add the cost of flying back and forth and the time you lose with either mass transit or rideshare or car rental, we're not far from flying time competitive. And in that market and in the Detroit market, where we're going to see travel times go down and train speeds go up, we're going to be even more competitive. That's where we're going to see market share gain. Right now, between Chicago and St. Louis, us versus air, it's about 80% air, 20% us. Over time, it's going to shift the way it has in the Northeast, where most of the business, us versus air, is us in the Northeast, between Boston, New York, and Washington. More people take Amtrak than fly in those markets because we make so much sense on the productivity argument, on the downtown connectivity argument, and in the comfort argument and the cost. Let's go check out the map of the whole place. Let's do that. So now we're in the first class, uh, business class, class, sorry. And it's also, it pretty much feels like business class on an airplane. It's two in one seating, single seats on one side of the aisle, double seats on this side. All these seats have leg rest and foot rest. And all of this equipment that we're sitting in now in the next three to five years is all going to be replaced with an even nicer business class. But imagine if you will, power outlets, all this space, food and beverage right behind you, a curtained area for a business customer or someone who's trying to upgrade up from coach, which is pretty comfortable, but this is even more so, this is a great product. What about warm food? Like when we took the Capital Limited, they only had one warm food option. It was a beef plate. And and. There is a microwave on board, and I saw some people eating pizza. I think it was the employees. So it seems like the technology is there. And, of, of course, airlines have mastered this way of feeding a lot of people with warm food. What's Amtrak doing? We have warm food on the Capital Limited. It's available for sale in the cafe car. And that probably was the microwave DiGiorno pizza that comes out of the cafe car. That's a choice for you to make as a customer. So if you're in coach or if you're in sleeping cars, You can certainly go and purchase a meal in the cafe car. The meals that are included in your fare in sleeping cars give you the choice between the chilled option and the one warm option. We're continuing to look at that and tweak it. That's already been tweaked once in the last month and a half. We'll keep seeing what to do, but the reception to the, and it's in the balsa wood box, I don't know if you had any of those. Yes, yes. um, Has really been pretty positive. You know, the idea of everybody wanting a steak and a potato here in 2018-2019 is uh, pretty much out the window. People want choices and giving people a choice between a chilled item and a warm item is where we're going and it's really been pretty well received. The days of Cary Grant riding across New York in his suit and tie talking about how great the trout is um, are pretty well passed. Right, the modern day is the vegan meal perhaps. Oh, we have vegan options, and we also continue to have uh, kosher options. We just have to seek them in advance, especially the kosher. 
Good. Let's go to see the map of the United States and see where our track actually goes. So, Mark, uh, we are here in front of the United States map of all of uh, Amtrak services. And for those who are just listening, it's going to be a little bit hard to follow along. So maybe you got to pull up a map. But basically, what I see is there's a whole lot of activity around Chicago and the eastern seaboard, a little bit less so on the west, which kind of, I think, mirrors the population density of those places. Well, these lines don't reflect how many frequencies there are on some of these routes. The same width line is through Hutchison, Kansas with one train a day each way as there is through Bloomington Normal or Oakland when there's lots and lots of trains to those places. There are two ways to get across this country on Amtrak. You can change, change trains in Chicago coming in from the east and then go many places west or you can change trains in New Orleans to go west. Those are the two gateways to the west. And the primary one is Chicago, where we have about 55 trains a day. The trains that come in from the northeast and from Washington converge here in Chicago. And then here in Chicago, you have many ways to get to the Pacific. Every day, our train, the Empire Builder, goes from Chicago to Milwaukee to St. Paul, then across to Spokane, Washington, where part of it goes to Portland, Oregon, part of it goes to Seattle. This goes through and around Glacier National Park. It is... We approach the park in, at nightfall, so in the summertime you can see the sun setting behind the Rocky Mountains. It is gorgeous up there. Probably the most miles of gorgeous is our train, the California Zephyr, which goes from Chicago to Omaha to Denver, then climbs up into the Rockies, goes through the Moffat Tunnel, goes over to Salt Lake City, and goes through the desert area here around Salt Lake at night. But we are in the Sierras from Reno across to Sacramento, you look down and you see the expressway built below you. You're up on the side of the mountain, hand-built during the Transcontinental Railroad days in the 1860s. People built that with pickaxes, not with big explosives, not with steam shovels, and not with computers. It's an amazing trip on the California Zephyr. When you get to Chicago, you could also go to Los Angeles directly on our train to Southwest Chief, which goes through Raton Pass right here. And Raton Pass is the highest mountain crossing of all the active railroad crossings in the U.S. Raton Pass is near New Mexico, and well, it's in New Mexico, right at the Colorado border. That's right. And we have a lot of business out of Raton. There's a huge uh, Boy Scout camp, Philmont, right there next to Raton, where thousands of scouts in a normal year, depressed a little bit this year because of the fires that have been going on out there, but thousands of scouts come here through Chicago to Raton. Anyway, on to Albuquerque. Flagstaff next to the Grand Canyon and Los Angeles. You have a train that actually serves the Grand Canyon or? A private operator has another crane that goes to the Grand Canyon. You disembark from us in Flagstaff and connect to it. The other way west from Chicago is our train, the Texas Eagle, which goes down through St. Louis, Little Rock. That's the train I was talking about before, which makes business sense if we're a midday or later meeting in Dallas-Fort Worth. We go through Texas, which is an amazingly huge state, by the way. Uh, and we get into San Antonio that night. And then part of that train separates and takes three days a week our Sunset Limited across through El Paso and Tucson and into Los Angeles. That's got to be nice, that uh, trip along the Mexican border. It's probably nice desert vistas. Oh, yes. Between Del Rio and El Paso, not far from Big Bend National Park, uh, mile after mile of, of really interesting desert territory, just like on the Southwest Chief. In El Paso, the train stops, you look out the window, and there's Mexico. 
Um, it is right on the border. And of course, through Tucson and into Los Angeles. So the point is, there are multiple ways west from Chicago, and there's multiple ways from the east into Chicago. Here in California, uh, these are very high-frequency corridors. The Capitol Corridor between uh, Sacramento and into Oakland, the uh, San Joaquin Corridor from Bakersfield up, and our Pacific Surfliners from San Diego to Los Angeles to points north, those are high-frequency corridors. So just like we have some high-frequency corridors in the northeast, we have high-frequency corridors here in the Midwest, and we do in California, too, in partnership with state and local agencies. Now, in Florida, there used to be a line that went from Jacksonville to New Orleans, and it looks like it was suspended. That service has been suspended since the storm. Which storm, sorry? Katrina. And we've had conversations with the states about restoring some or all of that service, and there's no consensus from the states yet on what to do. So, no, that may not be up in 2020? Unlikely. And how long does it take to go across, if you're, let's say, in a hurry, well, it's kind of stupid to be in a hurry to go across America, because obviously if you're really in a hurry, you're going to fly. But That's one of the issues that people, we get compared with Europe all the time. This is a big continent, and it takes one night from the east coast to Chicago and two nights from Chicago to the west coast. So it's three nights. You could maybe try to drive it straight through in three nights or three days, but that would not be a safe way to travel. But it's a big country. And the difference between us and Europe is there are a lot of compact or relatively compact countries in Europe. I mean, heck, it takes all day to get across Texas from Beaumont to El Paso is practically two days because that is a huge state. Montana is a huge state. These are, you know, 700,000 mile wide states that we're crossing. Montana is the size of Germany, actually. Yeah, and it's... And we're right up there, miles and miles away from the nearest interstate highway. We're about 150 miles north of I-90. The only thing that, that we're next to is US-2, which is largely not four lanes up there. So we provide an essential basic transportation service. We've talked about you know, how comfortable it is to be in a sleeping car. But for a lot of people, coach is the way they travel. And for most of our customers, they're much more in coach than there are in sleeper because there's higher capacity in coach. We perform a basic transportation service for large parts of the country, which are expensive to fly to even if you could, where the bus network has been basically eliminated over time. So they depend on us for daily transportation service in a place like Garden City, Kansas, or McCook, Nebraska, or even trying to get from McCook to Denver. If you're trying to get you know, maybe some specialized medical care that's not available in some of these places, or you're trying to visit friends and family, or if you're doing business, these long-distance overnight trains perform a basic transportation function of connecting big city and big city, but also big city and small city. How much does it cost, roughly, uh, from the, the cheapest ticket when it's on discount and you're going coach across America to, let's say, you're getting a whole bedroom and you're living it up for the whole way. What are, what's the? It's a huge range. I mean, we're probably closer to the cost of first class air when you're talking about having a sleeping compartment, especially a bedroom. I mean, if you're really sort of diamond gym, you can get two bedrooms and we can ensuite them. Leave one made up for day, the other one made up for night. Uh, with a pocket door that we'll leave open for you if you want between the two rooms. It also gives you two commodes and two sinks. People do that. People do that. And if you really have big bucks. Take a whole car. You can take a whole car or hire a private car that will connect to the back of our train 
and then in the lap of luxury with your own attendant, uh, usually at the rear of the train so you can wave at people, uh, you can have a private car in the back of our train. So Who's done that lately? Oh, a lot of people do that, and I, I'll refer you to the private car owners. Any celebrities that we might know? Uh, yeah, I've, I've known of some celebrities that do it, but I certainly can't divulge their travel plans. I mean, it used to be that John Madden, the football analyst, would uh, would not travel by air, but I think he travels by air now. But he had a custom bus. There are celebrities who like traveling. I mean, I'll tell you that between here and New York, Patrick Duffy, who's an actor seen on Dallas and on a Suzanne Somers show and the revival of Dallas, I ran across him and his wife on one of our Lakeshore Limited between here and New York because he just wanted a different way to travel. He wanted to travel in some more comfort. And I kept looking, that looks like Patrick Duffy, and in fact it was. So we spent some time chatting over breakfast. But the fact is there are celebrities and others who choose us. But normally, and there are people who choose us for religious reasons too. You'll see people here in our station who appear to be Amish or Mennonite. We perform a pretty important transportation function in some of these religious communities for people who can't fly. And there are a lot of people who shouldn't drive, a lot of people who can't drive or won't drive. If you're trying to get from Topeka, which, by the way, has no scheduled air service, uh, to Chicago, your choices are try to drive to the Kansas City Airport if you drive, which, by the way, isn't located anywhere near downtown Kansas City, to get to Chicago. There are folks in Topeka who count on us every day. So what's the cheapest, you would say, to go across America? Just people give people a ballpark of what you think. We'd have to look it up. Okay. No problem. Any other advice that you would give to people as far as uh, tra train travel in America? Well, again, because we go through some areas that are pretty rural, don't count on having Wi-Fi and cellular. Even on your phone? Even on your phone, much less off the train itself. So I'll bring reading material. You know, when you submit yourself to travel, whether it's by air by us or by car, there are things that happen that are totally out of anyone's control. Highways get closed, wildfires take place, uh, planes break down, and you're stuck at the airport. The good thing about Amtrak is, let's say you're making that connection through New Orleans or Chicago to go east and west. If we misconnect, we house you, and we look at every other way to get you someplace. At the airport, it's usually there's a corner, there's a cot, and we'll see you tomorrow, if they can even book you the next day. So I think when things go wrong, and they do in travel, unfortunately, we do more to take care of customers than most any other carrier does. What do you think of the Hyperloop idea? It's a nice idea. Uh, Amtrak has been looking into it at all? Oh, I, I think Mr. Musk has been working on that with some folks, but... You know, the way we get to where the next generation is, the next level is, and they did this in Europe, was incrementally. Right now we're developing in the Chicago hub here on the Amtrak Midwest network two spokes of a network with a maximum speed of 110. There's a limit in what you can do with the existing infrastructure, and about 110, 125 is that. If you want faster and... Maglev trains... Yeah, Maglev or 220 MPH trains, and they're building some 220 in California now. You basically need all new infrastructure, which is like building a new interstate highway. And it took us from the 1950s until somewhere in the 80s to get most of the U.S. interstate network done. And there are places where it's not done and may never be done. 
But to, in order to make that infrastructure change, the plans have to be put in place years ahead of time. So do you know of anything in the 2020s or the 2030s somewhere? Is there a pipeline pl a plan? Well, there are people with ideas and we're, we're partnered in Texas with Texas Central who's looking to do a high speed network, basically Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. But that again will be all new construction. And in this country, unlike let's say some other countries, we have private property rights in this country. And you just can't decide, the government can't say, oh, by the way, we're building this, sorry, you have to move. There's a process for all that. And there's environmental protections that take place because that's the kind of country we are. So comparing us to China, for example, which has been building a lot of high-speed network, the structure there for getting things done is a whole lot different than here. And probably a whole lot less respectful of any private property rights or even environmental issues. So, the issue and, and, ter and tearing down your own lines, because obviously you have rights on the existing lines, but that would disrupt service for so long. Yeah, we use existing freight lines about everywhere outside the Northeast. So those lines would likely stay in place. Even in the case of a 220 network, they'd be following new corridors or be following highway right-of-ways. In uh, Texas, they're looking at power line right-of-ways to do that. I think the point is we're a long way from there, and a lot of us would like to see that happen. But if the car is our primary competition, as long as we are driving time competitive or better, as long as our frequencies are multiple so you have some other choices, and as long as the fares are reasonable, we get business. And that's the way forward for a lot of places. That's how we've been able to do more than air in the Northeast Corridor. We're competitive time-wise, our fares are reasonable, and our locations are good. That's how you grow a network. Last question, Mark, is self-driving cars. That could disrupt the whole transportation industry completely because then all of a sudden they could sleep while their car is driving them. They can do their work on their laptop or whatever, and they can be just as productive as they would be on the train. They don't have to go through the security check at the airport. They have a lot of the advantages of the train. Is this something that Amtrak is losing sleep over? No, because firstly, we're a long way from there. Secondly, that private car, whether it's a pod that's driving itself, is still going to have to go through a funnel, the funnel it takes to get into downtown Chicago. And let's say there's even more cars out there, they might be self-driving, than there are today. The funnel is only still so wide. So it doesn't solve the traffic problems that cars face in the Northeast up and down I-95, here in Chicago or Los Angeles, or Portland and Seattle, or Boston and Washington more self-driven cars is still more cars. And the funnel to get through and around these places, again, is only so wide. Now, maybe out in the Great Plains, maybe here, between here and St. Louis, once you get out of the Chicago Metro, before you get to the St. Louis Metro, but I think we're a long way from seeing that as a factor. Is it out there? Yeah. Is it, does it have potential? Yes, but if it's just more vehicles stuck in a traffic gridlock, it doesn't solve your problem of getting there. Mark Magalieri, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming out. And go to Amtrak.com to find out more about Amtrak. For fares or for planning or for just toying with the idea, you know, for a lot of people, you guys are on a three-night trip, right? One night here, maybe a start, which is an aggressive, and we welcome it. But some people might want to try just a one-night trip. And there's plenty of one-night trips available, certainly up and down the Northeast and here in the Midwest, so to see how you like it. When I went on my first uh, sea cruise, I took a uh, relocation cruise, just moving the ship from Victoria down to San Francisco because I wasn't sure I was going to like it. 
You can do the same thing by train. Take a one-day trip or even a day trip just to see what it feels like. And I bet if you do, you'll be back. And that concludes this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember F Tapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.